financial stress with the saver and the spender. I'm your host and the spender, Michael Dickey. At Fiscal Fitness Phoenix, we are the worldwide leaders in reducing financial stress. And our mission is that everyone, from the person that is overwhelmed with their finances and in debt up to their eyeballs, to the person that makes good money, has amazing goals, and wants to achieve financial independence, finally to the person that feels a calling to help others by becoming a financial coach, learn how to take the stress out of money. Hello, listeners. This is Coach Kelsa, and I am super excited for today's episode. I am interviewing Kine Corder, K-I-N-E, last name Corder, C-O-R-D-E-R, and she is a financial therapist, CEO, and hypnotherapist of Presidential Lifestyle. I love interviewing other financial experts because one of the things that I think is really cool about our profession is how we all sort of have niches within a niche. So we all help people with money, but how we help people with money or the specific problems around money or challenges that we see and that we help people conquer are slightly different. And Kane is a beautiful representation of that. She founded Prosperity Club when she realized couples needed help with more than just the numbers. She's a former Morgan Stanley financial planning specialist, and she made the shift to counselor about five years ago. She helps patients feel more confident in every area of their lives. She's also a best-selling author, international speaker, and her favorite pastime is traveling the world while healing it, which I absolutely love. Thank you so much, Kane, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been really excited. I love, just like you, I love talking to other financial professionals, just like you said, because we both ha- we all have these different niches and we help in different areas. And just because we're all, to- we-, we get all together mm-hmm. to really heal the world. So I'm super excited. Exactly. So I'm super curious. Do you mind sharing a bit about your name? The name Kine is beautiful and unique. And I'm wondering if it, you know, where it came from or if there's a story behind it. Yes. So there is a story behind it. My name Kine is... It comes from a language called Wolof, which they speak in Senegal, West Africa. Mm -hmm. And my father was a musician when my mom was pregnant with me. And he was playing for a Senegalese dance troupe. And the lead dancer, her name was Kene. And my parents loved the name and then named me Kene. Never really knew the meaning. And we had been trying to find out the meaning for years, but couldn't really settle, like get it, get the right information. Well, one year my dad was like, well, where do you want to go for vacation this year? And I said, how about Senegal? And so we went to Senegal for vacation. And while we were there, we met one or two other Kanes because mm. it's a common name there. <laughs> but I don't meet people here in the U.S. named Kane, especially spelled that way. Yeah. Do, so, you, do you find people mispronounce it often? Like, do you, oh. how, and how, how do they mispronounce it? Like, what kind of, Kine or what do they say? Yeah, yeah. So, because it's K I N E and there's an accent over the E, most of the time when you see it, especially if you type it, there's no accent over sure. the E. So, they're like, kind. Or here's what happens. Like if I know my name is about to be called, the Pauls is usually my name. So they're like, uh, and so and so, and so and so, and 
And I'm like, Kanae. And they're like, oh, yes, Kanae. <laughs> you know they're like, oh, no. We should have read this further along and practiced it first kind of thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Yep. So when the pause comes. But sometimes it's Kainy. Um, it's Kanai. Kanai, for some reason, is the one I get the most. Hmm. Even when I correct people, and I'm one of those people that will correct you about my name. I know some people don't. Some people are just like, I'll just let it go. Call me whatever. But... I will correct you about my name. And sure. I'm like, oh, it's Kanae. And people are like, oh, okay. And then they're like, Kanae. And I'm like, pretty sure I told you it was Kanae. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get called all sorts of, I mean, Kelsey, Kelso, Kelly, Chelsea. And I, I'm the same way. Like, I will correct you, but I also don't care. Like, it doesn't offend me that it's like, I get that the name is a little oh, yeah. unique. And like for me, mine is pronounced exactly how it's spelled. So that's why when people are reading it, I'm pretty like surprised that people will say it incorrectly. Yours, I could understand in the sense of maybe if, like you were saying, if the E doesn't have the accent over it, they're not really sure. It might look like kind. Um, but I usually will correct them too. And they're, they're usually very apologetic. And I'm always like, yeah, it's no problem. They're like, I get that. It's weird. No problem. You know, kind of thing. So, um, well, good. Yeah, same here. I do the same thing. I'm like, nope, I don't mind. You're going to get it wrong and it's okay, but I'm going to correct you. But also what I usually say and what I have noticed is that even though it takes people a long time to get it they never forget it once they get it mm-hmm. like I yeah. can see people 20 years later and they're like can they and I'm like oh my gosh like who are you <laughs> absolutely yeah and I think it's sort of memorable you know there's not too many yeah. Kelsas in the world so usually yeah. when someone says like oh my friend Kelsa somebody will be like wait do I know the same Kelsa like and they mm. usually know that they now know who I am so yep. it's it's kind of a cool thing so um I'm curious, I, you know, I call myself a financial coach. You call yourself a financial therapist. Can you explain to those who are listening what the differences are or um, maybe what your focus is compared to what my focus might be? Or And you, you don't have to say necessarily what, what mine is specifically, but just what mm-hmm, makes mm-hmm. a financial therapist a, ther- a financial therapist. So I, I like to describe financial therapy as reconciling your emotions around money. So when I first started out as a financial advisor and then shifted to financial coach and then shifted to financial therapist, what I found was the numbers were one thing. They did need help with that, but there was also the, these like emotions and there was history and sometimes even trauma that was standing in the way of a couple reaching their idea of prosperity. So I shifted from really focusing on the numbers. I focus a lot less on the numbers probably than most financial coaches, but you and I have discussed this and and I think you bring in some of this into your program as well, where you talk about mindset and not just numbers because you can talk about numbers all day and that's not going to change their behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's really what financial therapy is about, changing the behavior because you put a process in place, and if that process is shifted at all, you're going to revert back to mm-hmm. old behavior. Mm-hmm. And so the process is great. You definitely need the process, but you also need to work on shifting your, your beliefs at the same time. Yes, exactly. I like to describe it as helping clients to 
learn to think critically around money decisions. Because if we always say like, you just do it this way all the time, 100%, then as soon as like you were saying, one factor changes or there's one slight difference, they will, they may not know what to do or they lose confidence of like, well, what am I supposed to do? Is this different or is this the same? And so our job is to help them put a plan in place that they can feel like we're taking out any um, emergency situations or the initial crisis that they might be under. But then once we do that, it's like, now let's train you to think very critically so that you learn to trust yourself with financial decisions. That way, no matter what happens, you know what questions to ask, you know how to research things, you know really like how to tackle that problem. Um, that way going forward, it doesn't matter what the factors are, you're learning to build that confidence. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about this more when we talk about Ooh. blocks, but a lot of that comes from, because I said so, you know, that saying that we've been told most of our lives because I well, when we were kids, because I said so. Mm-hmm. And so because we don't have a lot of times advisors and coaches are just saying, here, do this thing because I said so. They're mm-hmm. not saying this is why, this is how you can come up with this on your own. And what you just said was that you give them the ability to make those sound decisions on their own, even when you're taking taken out of the equation. Yes, exactly. So um, I want to I wanted to say this when we first started. And I just want to apologize to everybody if you hear me coughing. I'm trying to mute my line when I need to cough, um, but sometimes I don't always catch it, especially if we're in the middle of a really good conversation and it creeps in. So I will apologize to all the listeners if you're hearing a little bit of a cough in the background. I sincerely apologize. So um, tell me, Kene, where does financial confidence specifically come from, and how can a person keep it once they find that they have it? Well, confidence overall, we're born with confidence. And I'll prove it to you because a lot of people are like, no. Hmm. Yeah, it just got chipped away at really early. So we are born with confidence. We, when we are babies, we come out of the womb yelling. We say, ah, (laughs) pay attention to me. Notice me. Feed me. You know, take care of me. We already have that confidence to say what we need. Hmm. Then it gets chipped away at and chipped away at because maybe nobody responds as quickly as we want them to respond. Maybe it takes a little longer for them to respond. And then we say, hmm, maybe somebody's not going to take care of me. And while all of that is happening, in the first three years, we begin to make these interpretations. And believe it or not, 75% of our money beliefs are put in place by age three. Because love and money are connected. So the way that we receive, give and receive love, it's very similar to the way we interact with our money. So we had it in the beginning, Mm. but it got chipped away at. And we were so young that we never got a chance to implement it. And then it got covered up by all of the messages that we heard, the interpretations we made, and we got distracted and didn't know what to do next or how to get back there. Got it. That's kind of what financial therapy does is kind of help you get back to that confidence you had when you were a baby. Mm. And so let's say you've lost it. And Mm -hmm. then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, maybe, well, let's, let's dive into the things that cause us to lose confidence Yes. In ourselves, our partners, our ability to stick to our love and money goals. 
you know, can let's just start there. I, and I know you said it's can simply be for maybe our needs not being met or heard, but mm-hmm. I'm sure it's it's got to be more complicated than that, or maybe not. Well, it's really sort of simple to get into this kind of, you know, <laughs> self-doubt. That part is simple. It's getting out of it that becomes more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and so really it's, it's, it breaks down to beliefs, which we'll talk about more. I'll get deeper into beliefs in just a second, but it starts with our beliefs. And then what happens from the beliefs that happen at, you know, zero to three, those beliefs get imprinted. And mm-hmm. then after that, from that moment on, we start doing these three things. We start comparing, Mm. we start complaining, and we start competing. Mm. And over and over repeating those three things and never, as we do that, it just further solidifies the self-doubt and we use money to get past that self-doubt, right? So some people- Say them again, comparing. Comparing, Mm -hmm. complaining, Mm -hmm. and competing. Now we can go through all all three and kind of break each one down. But Mm -hmm. overarching, what I find is that, so this show, Saver and Spender, those are two of the money mentalities, but they're even more. And so some people will say, okay, so this is how I'm going to get love. I am going to spend my money on all the people I love. Now that's, they're two different spenders though. Some spenders are spending to have fun. I call that the enthusiast. Enthusiast is like, I'll buy the bar. Everybody stay and eat. We're good. Mm -hmm. The hero, which is what I was, is like paying for people's to get the boot off your car, to pay mm. your mortgage because you didn't, you mismanaged your money, to do, you know, hero, the hero, you're saving people with your money. And that's how you get love. Now, the saver, on the other hand, the saver is more like, I'm going to show you how responsible I am with my money, and you'll love me because of that. And, no, and you'll love me even more in the future when you don't have to worry about money because I've already saved for whatever it is that we're going to do. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so that's how love and money are connected, and that's how we feel. That's how we feel confident with our love and with our money, and it's really based on how we try and use money to mm-hmm. get love. Yeah. And it's so funny because on the podcast, I'm sure people have heard us say before how a lot of savers say like, oh, I wish I could spend more like a spender could. And then spenders say like, oh, I wish I was better at saving like savers, you know? And it's like, we're always comparing ourselves and looking at the, what the other person can do that we can't do. Yes. So, so true. And that goes into that comparison. So I'd like to break down a little bit those three. So the comparison, complaining, and competing. So comparing is really big, just like you just said. Everybody wants to be who they're not, right? My sister's a hairstylist, and people with straight hair come in and say, I wish my hair was curly. And people with curly hair mm-hmm. say, I wish my hair was straight. So, <laughs> so it's just like you said, we're always comparing ourselves. And when you're comparing yourself, comparison is the thief of joy. So if you're comparing your money behavior or your relationship to somebody else's, we call them the Joneses, then Mm -hmm. it's likely that, one, you don't even know what's really going on at the Joneses' house. So you're probably off, and whatever you think is going on is probably not what's really going on. So Mm -hmm. one, if you're comparing yourself to the Joneses, you're probably off. 
So you're, you're not interpreting that information properly, which mm -hmm. is what you did from zero to three. You misinterpreted information. Second, if you're comparing yourself, you're likely pulling yourself down compared to what you believe they, they are because you're comparing your blooper reel, right? The money mistakes that you've made to their highlight reel, all the great stuff that they decide to show you or how they make it look or, or whatever it is that they've experienced. So you know how you go to the movies and they show you the highlights, right? The trailer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At the end, they show you the bloopers after you've already seen the whole movie. And then the bloopers are funny. But what mm -hmm. if the bloopers was the trailer? Would you go see that movie? <laughs> right. Probably not. <laughs> so basically, you have to trade showing yourself your bloopers and just begin to show yourself your highlights and... And be okay with that. Like, okay, these are my highlights. I've done some good things. Sure, you've made some mistakes as well. Don't overlook those, but don't compare your blooper reel to somebody else's highlight reel. Mm -hmm. So true. And I find that, you know, I was just talking about this in an episode um, about cognitive bias and how we tend mm -hmm. to focus on our negative experiences more like they feel bigger. They feel more intense. They're more memorable than a positive experience sometimes. Yeah. And so we're going to look at our own negative um, experiences and give them more credence or more power versus like somebody else's, like we may not even see someone else's negative experiences or bad mistakes or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so true. And the same is true that when it comes to our partners. So, you know, we look at our partners the same way and we're like, oh, my partner did one good thing for me. Her partner did 10 good things for her. You know, it's kind of like that. But if you really sat back and, and thought about it, your partner may be doing more than you're giving them credit for. I remember I had a friend and she never, ever told me about anything good that her partner did. And I, I called her really excited and I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And I was telling her about the boyfriend I had at the time, this gift that he bought me. And she's like, oh my gosh, what did you get? And I was like, he bought me 24 wooden hangers. And she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're like 24 karat gold? Right? <laughs> like, no, no, 24 wooden hangers. <laughs> I love wooden hangers. It's a, whole, it's a thing, a whole thing growing up. We didn't use sure. like the wire hangers or whatever, wooden hangers. And so for him to like actually be that thoughtful and bring the wooden sure. hangers, he knew how big that would be. And so she was just like, oh, oh, okay. Like, and I was like, you have to, you, you got to give them credit for the things that they do. Otherwise they'll stop doing them. Mm -hmm. She's like, Oh, I guess I got to get better at that. I'm like, yeah. She's like, you are really excited about these hangers. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I think about something that Michael has done ever since we, you know, got married, started living together, all of that really early on in our relationship. And for the longest time until recent years, Michael didn't drink coffee and, and yet I did. And every morning I would wake up and he would usually get up, you know, maybe five or 10 minutes before me, not, not usually a lot, but I would wake up and he would have made a pot of coffee. Mm. And it was just one of the most thoughtful things. Like it wasn't because he was also drinking it. It was simply because he knew I would want some. 
right? Mm. And I never asked him to make a pot of coffee. It's not like something I said, this is what I expect my husband to do. Cause I never would have thought that that was something, you know, somebody would do. Um, and so, and still till this day, like he makes a pot of coffee every single morning and now he does drink coffee now, but he didn't for the longest time. Um, it's, I definitely, once we had a baby, he started drinking coffee. <laughs> um, but, but I just thought it was such a thoughtful gesture and like, it might not seem like that big of a deal, right? Like it's a pot of coffee, but it was just the thought thoughtfulness of it. Absolutely. And that, those are the things that you have to give them credit for because as you overlook those things, they're not, they're, they're remembering them. Yes. And that's how they feel more confident romantically because it's those things. And that's the small amount of money. I mean, depending upon what kind of coffee you drink, of course. (laughs) Yeah. But that could be a very small way to make a big gesture, a big impact on your relationship, which is why I say feeling more confident financially and romantically, because a lot of times we think it has to be that big, expensive trip or that diamond ring that's going to excite your partner, but it may not be. It could be something very simple and inexpensive that makes them feel loved. Yes. And I want to just really quickly point out that I think we compare a lot more often than what we realize. And so right now in this moment, a listener, if you are thinking to yourself, oh, I wish my spouse made me coffee in the morning mm. or, oh, like my spouse doesn't make me a pot of coffee. Like you are comparing right now in this very moment, right? Like any of these examples we're giving, if you are comparing like, oh, well, my husband doesn't do that or my wife doesn't do that, then that is that thought that is essentially the comparison can really be a very subtle thing. Yep. Yep. I just got chills. You're so right. It could be happening right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Also maybe want to shift to is what are they doing? Cause it's something that, yes, exactly. yeah, that their spouse does that maybe in ours doesn't. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. And that's the point, right? That is the point that we're trying to make. And I think the awareness around when we do it is actually, you know, it's not always easy to be aware of these thoughts. No. So that's why I wanted to just kind of make that connection really quickly that it could be happening more often than we realize. So that's comparison. How about complaining and competing? How do those things yeah. show up? So that's actually a great segue to complaining because when you say things like, my spouse doesn't do that, that is you complaining about your spouse. Mm-hmm. So really checking yourself on your focus because what you focus on expands. So if you're focusing on what your spouse is not doing and even complaining about yourself, because sometimes the, the way we talk about ourselves is way worse than the way that we would allow anybody to talk about us. Mm-hmm. So when you're complaining about yourself, how bad you are at something, maybe how you manage money, really check in on that and see how you can shift that to a a less offensive way of expressing your feelings. Because complaining does not turn into anything positive. When When you're complaining about what your partner's doing, when you're complaining even about what you're doing, you're not going to have a positive result. You're just going to have mm-hmm. more negative results. Mm-hmm. So complaining is a big part. Where I see it the most when I'm working with couples is, one, complaining that they don't have enough. That's number one. Oh, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. And maybe you do. Maybe you don't. 
Mm-hmm. Some people really are living in poverty, but mm-hmm. the couples that I meet are not living in poverty. That's sure. not what they're living in. They're overspending a lot of times or just not paying attention a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So that's number one, where I see the complaining is not having enough. Number mm-hmm. two, where I see a lot of complaining is that they're disorganized. Like, I got to get this right. I keep messing up on this. Like, they're just beating themselves up because mm-hmm. they, they they don't have a plan but these things are taught. You didn't mm-hmm. learn it yet. So you don't have to complain or fuss about it. You just have to train. Yeah. I was just yesterday, I have a group call once a month and mm-hmm. um, was rolling out or you know sharing with everybody a checklist that you can follow when you're making a financial decision. Here's the, the list of skills or actions or steps that I want you to make, whether it's something to think about, um, you know, updating your budget, talking to your spouse, you know, that kind of thing. And one of them I was saying is I actually think a step that can make it so that you feel totally empowered by a a decision versus like a victim of a decision. So, and that is adopting this philosophy of this is an opportunity to learn and grow and to develop new knowledge or new skills around a financial aspect of my life. How can I seize that opportunity? And if you transform every thought into that, let's say your car breaks down and you're like, okay, you know what? I need to buy a new car. I wasn't planning to do it this year. I was hoping it would last till next year. Like all these thoughts are going in your mind. What's happening is it's like feeling like life is happening to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that it's like complaining, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if instead you look at it and you're like, okay, this happened, what can I learn? How can I seize this opportunity right now to learn something new about interest rates or car loans or how dealership salespeople get paid or how cars are priced or, you know, what kind of cars are out there right now or like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. I think what happens is it immediately changes your whole perspective on that from something that like you're empowered to make the decision around. It's like an opportunity to learn and grow versus like, oh, this is happening to me and I'm frustrated by it. Yeah. Great point. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Um, and so that's complaining. I think, again, just like comparing, I think people do it more than they realize. Ooh, yes. Let me tell you. So I have an exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I have an exercise that I do. You know, those like rubber band things that they have you wear around your um, wrist and like it's they just hmm. really have like one word on them. They're sure. Sort of rubber. So I would have patients or clients wear those and just every time they hear themselves complaining just kind of pop the pop the bracelet so Mm. it's like snap them out of it but I do this workshop called peace party and Mm. at peace party the whole time you're there which is a three-hour workshop you cannot complain not one complaint and one woman says not even about my husband I'm like especially not about your husband <laughs> <laughs> and so it's sort of like a game um I don't know if you know that baby shower game where you get like safety pins when you first get there and if you say baby then you like oh, lose yes. yeah yeah so we do it that way if you say a complaint then you lose one of your safety pins and the person with the most safety pins at the end wins a prize so we really find out how much we complain when we have somebody like checking for us to complain and we're like oh that was a complaint then people try to fight they're like no that wasn't a complaint I was just saying how I was mentioning a fact right or the fact or cheating like then that's where they they think a a circumstance they put a negative spin on it and they assume Mm -hmm. it's a fact 
Yes, right? exactly. And so what I like to tell them is like, sure, this is an experience you're experiencing and you are allowed to state your experience. However, you have to know when you are complaining. If you say, I noticed that I overeat on the days that I'm sad, right? That's an observation. Totally, if yes. If you say, oh my gosh, why do I keep overeating? I know better than this. I need to do better. I'm so tired of overeating. And every time this is, a, that's complaining. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, right. Um, I love that because I do think the baby shower example is such a perfect analogy because I think when you do that and the guys who are listening are like, what are you talking about? But um, <laughs> the women are like, oh yeah, that game. Um, you know, usually... I think everybody at the baby shower at some point will say the word baby and not even realize it. And everybody else has to be like, Oh my God, you said it, you know? And so, I mean, there's so many times where we probably complain without even realizing it. We compare without realizing it. We complain. So that's such a great exercise. I'm really curious about competing and how that can cause us to lose confidence because I personally feel like, and maybe you're going to tell me that this is incorrect. Can you can totally tell me this, but, um, like, I feel like there's healthy competition and positive competition. And sometimes it can be like a really great motivator, but then sometimes it's negative. I'm wondering if, if that is true and what makes the difference and why sometimes it's destructive. And maybe sometimes it might be productive if you think that sometimes it is productive. Yes, there can be healthy competition. Um, as long as it is healthy. (laughs) So what I find that happens though, is that there's that one-upping and Mm. healthy competition is not about one-upping each other. Um, and then there is that blaming. It's like, um, where maybe you've met with couples who are like, we would be further along if, you know, she didn't always do this. And I'm the one that always does this. Like they have to draw attention to how awesome and amazing they have been with Mm -hmm. the plan and how terrible their partner has been with the plan. And Mm -hmm. that's where they're usually competing. Now I talked a little bit about the money, what I call money mentality earlier, but usually where we compete is in the money mentality. So each money mentality, saver, spender, I talked about the enthusiast, the hero, the artist, whichever one you are, you're good. You're really good at one area of the money cycle. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. And then you're probably challenged at another area of the money cycle. So I define the money cycle as earn, grow, protect, gift, and enjoy your money. And what okay, I'm say those again. Money cycle. Earn. Earn, grow, mm-hmm. protect, gift, and enjoy your money. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how you navigate that money cycle is going to determine your lifestyle. Now, some mm-hmm. people are good at earning, really good at earning. They got mm-hmm. that down, right? Yeah, yeah. Some people are good at growing. They may not even earn a great living. They might not earn as much as the next person, but they really do a great job of saving or investing growing. Now, what happens in the competing area is that one partner, and it's almost always, I don't usually get partners that are both the same money mentality. Like they, mm-hmm. you, know, you know this, sure. that's why you have this podcast. Totally. Yes, balance it. Like we balance each other out oftentimes, yes. right? Like we're looking for that person to balance us out, even if we don't realize it. Yes, exactly. Even if we don't, we're like, that is unconscious. And so we attract this person into our lives and then we compete with them because maybe they're good at 
spending or enjoying money and we're good at saving. And so we continue to tell them how great we are at saving, but never tell them how good they are at enjoying money. And so we compete in the area that we're good at, but they can't compete with us. That's not their area. So of course we're going to win. But if one person wins, then they both lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I could see where it's like, there's a time for all of them, right? Like there's a time where we need, you know, all of those to be part of Mm -hmm. our money journey or our life. And, um, I think Michael is so good at enjoying money and he, and I'm really good at protecting it and making sure that we've got this solid foundation. And I can get really anxious about that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and he'll say, Kelsa, like, we could have nothing. And I have you, we have our health, we have each other, we have our kids. He could literally have nothing and not care. You know what I mean? So, and and because I believe that about him, it really grounds me, you yeah. know, to like what's important and that kind of thing. And um, where I'm a protector of money. Um, and so that's sort of just my MO is like, well, we have to protect it, you know? <laughs> um, and I also think it's funny because sometimes our our greatest strength is sometimes our weakness as well. Yep. So somebody who is a great earner, their weakness is that they may be telling themselves they can out earn any challenge that they're experiencing or any spending problem. Right. Mine, like I'm a protector, but like that is, and that's a great thing. Like that's a strength of mine. And yet Mm -hmm. I need to also like, remember to enjoy my money sometimes and like, just be okay with like enjoying our, you know, the fruits of our labor and that kind of thing. And so it's, our strength is also our weakness sometimes. And as soon as we can realize that about ourselves, we can then, I think, appreciate our partner's strengths and weaknesses as well so much better and not just focus on their weaknesses. Yes, absolutely. And so where I do want to address your healthy competition. So Mm -hmm. where the competition can be healthy is if we ask the partner to do a thing in maybe where they're challenged and like, and, and motivate them or activate them to strengthen in that area a little bit. And so it's Mm -hmm. a little competition there, you know, a little pressure and they probably aren't going to knock it out the park like you might, but just to see them grow a little bit can be healthy and fun and, and even exciting for them. Yes. I, we see this often in, in meetings with couples and, you know, there's the, the couples that are very productive and supportive. And I think do a really good job of saying like, yeah, this isn't your strength, but how can I support you? Or how can we make this easier for you? Or how can we give this as a challenge for you to focus on? And even though it may not be easy and that kind of thing. And then there's I think the couples who really just continue to tear down the person when they, you know, and focus so much on the weakness versus the fact of like, well, how can we make this better? Like, let's focus on the growth side of things. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. So that's compete. Anything else with competing, Kane, as far as a way that we lose confidence? Yes. I'm glad you asked that because we also compete with other couples. Mm, Oh, for sure. It's like, so it's slightly different than the comparison because the comparison a lot of times is you thinking they're better than you. And Mm -hmm. competing is usually you thinking you're better than them or even just wanting to be better than them. And if we're focusing on being better. That's a great distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. And we're focused on being better than or worse it's so distracting from our actual purpose and focus. Like keep your eye on the prize. It's not about being better or worse. It really is about reaching your 
goal, that is it. I call it your idea of prosperity. And we all have an idea of prosperity. And what I find is that prosperity means different things to different people. So mm. if we're competing, we may not even be competing at the same thing. Like I may be competing with, okay, I shouldn't even bring this. I'm trying to bring sports <laughs> into it, but I'm not that. <laughs> I was about to say like, you know, we don't need to try and bring sports into it. Okay. You can if you want, but. <laughs> so basically we're playing two different games, right? If I'm using sure. my baseball stats against your basketball stats and you're like, oh, I, you know, I, I made a triple double. And I'm like, well, I hit a triple home run, you know, or whatever. And probably those two do not go together. <laughs> <laughs> this is cracking me up right now because I'm pretty sure that makes no sense. So I, know, I really hope I, I really hope people are listening to this and they're like, wait, let's this is gonna become a blooper. Oh my god, this is our blooper reel. I love it. Yes, this is it. People should totally record this and say, listen to these two financial people trying to talk about sports stats. Like this is brilliant. But you know what? Like, let's just laugh at ourselves because it's hilarious. And I think we should probably go with the idea of a triple home run. I have no idea what a triple home run is, but <laughs> It's a triple, you know what I mean? <laughs> nope, triple home run. And we're gonna, you know what? They're, they're gonna make that a thing. They, they should. They should. Yeah. listen to that. Right. Anyway. They're like, forget about the batting average. He just did a triple home run. Who cares what your batting average is? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Keep going. So we're comparing stats that it's like we're trying to compete when really there's, there's so many factors and we're just playing two totally different games. I, I think the analogy works beautifully, despite the fact that, like, you know, might not make total sense but I think the analogy works beautifully right so men that was for you we couldn't do the baby shower thing wasn't for you <laughs> <laughs> we obviously can't do the sport thing either for them but <laughs> oh but I'm sure you got a great laugh and that's what mm, most I did I'm crying I'm crying over here I got tears running down my face that was funny <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend is so embarrassed right now <laughs> oh, like have I not taught you anything <laughs> So, yes, it's all about comparing, I mean, competing, and we are competing usually in areas that don't even match up. And so while we're trying to be better than somebody else, our focus is off because while you're focused mm-hmm. again, well, you focus on expands. So if you're focusing on the Joneses, guess whose wealth is going to expand? The Joneses. Yes. I I love this. I find, um, you know, I'm a pretty open book with all of my clients. And so, but, and at the same time, I always like to caution them. Like, I'm going to share examples or I'm going to say how we do it, but my job is not to get my clients to do things the way Michael and I do it. My job is to get them to do things that in a way that they feel really, um, confident in, like it's their way. They feel really proud of it, you know? And so I'm always very cautious of like sharing, you know, specifics, not because I'm a private person. I don't mind at all, but because I don't want that to influence them. You know, my job is to say, let's figure out what you want to do. What's going to inspire you. What are your goals? What motivates you? And then put your money behind those things. Not what we put our money behind, you know, because those two are not necessarily the same thing. Yes, absolutely. And that's the same thing in therapy. We have to be very careful about oversharing um, or self-disclosure because, yeah, then it becomes you're the master, you're the guru, and I'll just do it Kelsey's way. But Mm -hmm. like you said, that might not be right for their specific situation, and they need to find what works for them. However, stories are how we learn. Mm -hmm. Back in the day when we were cavemen and cavewomen and 
you know, way, way back. Um, that is how we taught. We taught through story. And so story is a great way for them to learn. So listening to your story can be a, a way for them to have some idea of where they need to go, but using that as a guideline, not as the map. Yes. I think it's the, we can connect through a story Mm -hmm. because we can always find common ground, but we don't need to, like, not every detail needs to be the same. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm glad that you said that because I do want to talk a little bit before we finish up about blocks. Mm -hmm. And you just made me think of one of the blocks. So there are three or four major blocks that I see people experience. And one of those blocks that kind of has to do with what you just said is this past experience. It's like, I call it your money history. And your money history is that brain stuff that came into play zero to three years old. Now, mm-hmm. really, our patterns are set by 15. 95% of our patterns are set in place. And so mm-hmm. society gave us a bunch of messages. Our parents gave us messages. Any of our caretakers, grandparents, So we have all these messages that came from society, like you got to work hard for your money or the love of money is the root of all evil or relationships are hard and 50% of marriages fail. And so we have all this programming and it's, it's guiding us thinking, well, relationships are hard, so we're probably not going to make it. So you keep your money over there and I'll keep my money over here and we won't merge our money because it's just easier this way because Mm -hmm. relationships are hard because that's what society told us. Instead of Mm -hmm. saying, we're going to make it, relationships take effort, but we're going to make it, so let's merge our money, let's have these money conversations, let's plan for our future, and let's go. But a lot of times, the reason why money is one of the number one reasons couples get divorced is because they already come into the marriage saying relationships are hard, money is the root of all evil, all these negative programs. And so that whole thing where you just said, like, you tell them the story, they can use your words as a guideline, but not as the map. We need to get off of society's feed, like that social media feed, too. I'm going to say that's the second block. So first is the, the society feed. It's feeding us these negative messages. And then second... So social media comes right behind that and movies come right behind that kind of instilling and like embedding those messages even deeper, selling us this fairy tale that we, that we're supposed to follow. And it's like, well, my life doesn't look like that. I must be a failure. Mm -hmm. Takes us back to our complaining, our comparing and our competing. And because our brains already had that pattern set in place, we buy in. Because the brain is like, well, that must be right. And you know how Einstein said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result? Mm-hmm. Really, that's the definition of humanity. Because the mm. brain is wired to protect us. And the brain's mm. idea of protecting us is to continue to do the same thing. I don't know what's mm. down that path, but if I go down this path, I know what's down this path. So I'm just going to keep doing this. Could be a saber-toothed tiger, a mountain lion, anything down that other path. I don't know, so I'm not going, but I know what's mm. down this path. And even though this path is painful, I'm just going to keep doing it over and over again because I know this pain. I don't know that other pain. Yes. Mm -hmm. It is so true. You know, one of the things we say all the time when 
clients call for the very first time and they're asking, I say clients, but so they're not clients yet. They're people who are just inquiring. And, you know, I always say like, I get that this leap of faith we're asking you to take is pretty scary, right? Like we have been conditioned to believe that we're going to be bad with our money or that money is a source of stress and that there's no way I can ever be good at it. Or, you know, everyone in my family is bad at it. And that, you know, there's just no way that we can actually enjoy our money and all that kind of stuff. And so me uh, saying like, no, that is possible, but that is such a scary idea because we're like expecting them to trust us before they've actually seen it. Yep. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And we're wired. It's like those paths. Yeah. Like they're so used to going down one path. And like you said, even though that path is like in debt, losing sleep over money, have no idea how their student loans are going to get paid off, you know, fighting with their spouse, all of that. It's like the, what is it? The devil that you know versus yeah. the devil you don't sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's so, so true. So let me, I want to make sure I'm tracking with you here. So the four blocks we've got your money history, is one social media feed is two. Right. So the four blocks, if we're really specific, because I did kind of blend them all together. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to break them down so that people can maybe take some notes if they want to. So the brain, I'll say that is number one because that was that place okay. first. And so that blocks you because your brain is trying to repeat the same patterns in order to stay safe, in order to Got survive, it. in order to protect you. And then mm-hmm. society continues to imprint those messages. And because mm-hmm. that pattern was set in place, you're going to receive the messages that society is sending out that further solidifies the pattern that you put mm-hmm. in place. Cause that's what we do in order to protect ourselves. We have to prove ourselves right. That's what the brain totally. does. Yes. And so we fit, we find the messages that society put out and we like, yep, I buy that. Yep. I buy that. I buy that message too. Give it to me. I take it. Um, well, and we start to see the same things that we focus on. So it's like the idea of you buy a certain make and model of car. And then all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. The same thing happens with a money thought or a money belief is like, oh, you know, everyone's in credit card debt. And if you believe that one time, and then all of a sudden you start to see everybody in credit card debt, and it just starts to reinforce that. And you almost avoid entirely or simply overlook and cannot see all of the people who are doing great without credit cards, mm-hmm. yes. for example. And I mm-hmm. want to make sure that we're not getting upset with our brains because even though I said your brain is part of the challenge, well, mm-hmm. but the brain is doing a great job at protecting you when it needs to. It's just, sure. it doesn't know when it doesn't need to protect you. So then it becomes your job to say, okay, brain, thank you. You've done a great job protecting me, keeping me alive so far. But this area, we don't need protection here. We're going to listen to what Kelsa tells us and we're going to do this new thing. So thank mm-hmm. you for doing what you've done so far. But I give you permission to just back off right now so we can take this new path. And so we do have to kind of have that conversation with our brains, not tearing ourselves down, but building our brains up saying, you've done a good job, actually too good a job. So let me give you the day off. So, yeah. yeah. And we just did, so episode 50, for those of um, people listening, if you haven't checked out episode 50, we talked about, you know, what is a cognitive bias and how that affects us and how, why, like the brain is meant to be a super efficient, lightning fast decision maker. Mm-hmm. You know, it like has to process a ton of information yes. really quickly, but it doesn't always process it correctly. Exactly. And it's not a bad thing. It's just something that we need to be aware of so that we can correct it. Yeah. And like you talked about that reticular activation system. It Mm -hmm. is what allows us to see when we buy that new car. uh, This seems like everybody bought the new car, but 
the good thing about the reticular activating system, it also blocks out information we don't need. So sure. what we focus on expands. I've said that a few times. That's, that's the reticular activating system. And so it says, oh, look, everybody has a white Camry or a blue Honda Accord, <laughs> you know? And so, but if somebody yells out, so my name's Kenea, your name's Kelsa. If somebody yells out, Lisa, neither one of us is going to turn around. Because if we turn around every single time somebody's name was called, then mm-hmm. we would be totally distracted. So the brain is doing a good job by just telling us, focus on when somebody says Kelsa. And then you're like, got it. And then you're doing whatever you need to do. People are like, Susie, Mary, Johnny, and you're not, so- you're staying focused. So it's doing its job. It's doing a great job. It's just that sometimes we have to tell it, hey, in this area, let's expand. Yeah. Okay. So, and I think we're doing a really good job with our car analogies, not so much the sports ones, but I'm going to give us like an A plus in our, in our uh, vehicle examples today. So, um, okay. So we've got the brain Brain, society society. and then social media and society, they're neck and neck. They come right behind social media and, and the movies. And then the last one we didn't talk about yet. And that is secret. So secrets are our financial blocks because we become ashamed. We don't know how to be vulnerable because we think if we're vulnerable, we're going to get hurt. Remember that? Comparing, Mm -hmm. complaining, um, we're going to get talked about. And so we have these secrets and we don't want to share them. And it's blocking us from growing because we won't share the secret. Mm -hmm. If we just say, hey, I'm deficient in this area. I need help. We could get help. But a lot of times we're like, I don't want to tell anybody because if I do, then they're all going to know. Yes. I attended a fabulous presentation last week, and I think you would have loved it. And it was talking about like four really negative emotions and shame was one of them. Mm-hmm. And it, then it talked about like, what's the typical action in response to the emotion? And for shame, she had said that a typical response to shame is avoidance. Or, you know, you like, you bury it, you know, you just like, like, don't address it. You stick your head in the sand, like you don't talk about it. And the solution oftentimes to shame is sharing, Mm. right? Like being honest and open about it. And I felt like that was such, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about because the, by not sharing it, the shame or the guilt and all of those negative feelings, like just grow and sort of fester even more. So do. Mm-hmm. And then you're so ashamed this, of the, this, the, the shame. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And it can be such a vicious cycle. Yeah. So um, any tips for people on how they can, you know, increase their confidence and I'm assuming, you know, overcome some of these blocks in the process? Yes. So I have three tips that I, well, I'll say, I should say actions. So, okay. and, the, and it actually has an acronym ACT. So the acronym ACT, the first one is assess, and that is become aware. So become aware of where you are comparing, complaining, competing. You know, become aware of these messages. Become aware of your money history. So first assess. Assess where Mm -hmm. you are and also assess where you want to be because that's the first two steps. You got to know those before you can get anywhere. Where are you? Where are you going? Then you can get direction. So that's first, assess. Number two, mm-hmm. C, compliment. So mm. it takes five compliments to overcome one criticism. So if you've been complaining, wow. if you've been complaining and downing yourself or your partner, you owe yourself four or five compliments to overcome. 
that complaint. Mm. So start. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like in order to overcome like some negative self-talk, you, you don't just, you can't even become or do like a neutral self-talk. Like you really have to sort of like overcorrect. Yep. It might feel like you're overcorrecting a little bit at first. Yep. Exactly. Oh, interesting. So compliment. Mm. The other part of compliment goes to that competing. So because there's, there's two parts to compliment the, the words, say the words, but also compliment in the sense of where can I compliment my partner? So they're the saver, I'm the spender, and if they're doing a really good job saving, let me see how I can help them in, in the way that they want to be helped. Because you know the saver wants to save, so maybe the, you put the job of the saver to put save money towards enjoyment hey, we know we're going to want to do this next month. Let's save some money for that. And then the the spender, the saver knows this particular money is for this particular thing, which is enjoying. So how do you Mm. compliment them in order to get them to get on the path to prosperity together? Beautiful. I love that. And what about T? T is train. So I like Mm. to say train your brain for change. <laughs> so start giving yourself new messages. Like you said, if you're going to have that negative self-talk, you have to overcorrect. And so new new messages, turn off that social media feed. Forget about what the Joneses are doing right now. Just focus on what you are doing right now. You know, forget about those messages that society has given you and even some of the messages that your parents have given you because they, mm-hmm. they might have been right at the time when they were growing up, but times have changed. And so you may have to adjust those messages for you. And I say train because training together, like a lot of times couples are complaining about growing apart. If you're training mm-hmm. together, you're going to grow together rather than apart. Mm, yeah. I know. I feel like one of the things too that Michael and I, do. And it's, it seems so subtle, but, you know, Michael, um, is gluten-free has, you know, celiacs. And so like, we don't, I don't eat gluten around him. Like I could eat it. I feel fine on it. I know there's a whole debate on whether or not it's really good for us and all of that, but I, I have paid attention and I feel fine on it when I eat it. So, but I don't sit there and like eat it in front of him. It's my way of showing my support. Um, as opposed to like distracting him or be like, oh my God, this cupcake is so good. If only you could have it. You know what I mean? So um, it just feels like a very simple thing that I can do to be where we are doing things together. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I mean, and I feel like money is very similar. Totally. Yeah. Health and money. That's why you presidential lifestyle, my company, we we're a well wellness company, but we focus on wealth because the two go together, health and wealth. They just go together completely. And the mindset around how you deal with your money and how you deal with your body is very close. How you deal with your love, all of that is intertwined because your thinking is your thinking. And how you do one yeah. thing is how you do everything. Yeah. I um, I have loved this conversation. I know you have got some amazing resources. Um, and so those who are listening might want to go pick up and learn more from you. Can you share some of those resources for our listeners? Yes. So I have two in particular that we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. And one is a prosperity assessment. So you can assess where you are right now in your journey to prosperity. And that is, you go to kinecorder.com slash P A. So that's P like prosperity, A like assessment. So canaquarter.com 
slash PA to take that prosperity assessment. And then I talked about the money mentality. And we talk, you know, here on the podcast about the spender and the saver a lot, but there are five others. And so if you want to find out your money mentality, you can take the money mentality quiz at kenequarter.com slash money dash quiz. Kenequarter.com slash money dash quiz. Perfect. And we will have all of those links in the show notes. And then you also are on Instagram and Facebook. And I just wanted to, again, spell your name so everybody has it. So it's www.kinecorder.com, K-I-N-E-C-O-R-D-E-R.com. And so people can check you out there and you've got links to everything. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for all of this amazing advice and the um, the um, brilliant sports analogies that we came up with and the car analogies and for sharing your expertise and wisdom with, with all of our listeners on The Saver and The Spender. Thank you so much, Kenny. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. And anytime you need any other sports stats or analogies, <laughs> call me. We will be sure to have you on if we ever need a blooper reel when it comes to sports stuff. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, my dear. Okay, bye. If you would like more information about our financial coaching programs or how we can help you take the stress out of money, please check out our website at www.fiscalfitnessphx.com. Join our private Facebook group by searching Facebook for Overcoming Financial Stress with Fiscal Fitness. And if you have a passion for personal finance and are interested in helping others take the stress out of money by becoming a financial coach, check out our financial coach training program at www.financialcoachacademy.com and join our free Facebook group by searching Facebook for Financial Coaches Unite. And we'll see you on the next episode of Overcoming Financial Stress with the Saver and the Spender, where we'll help the world take the stress out of money.